morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Can y'all hear me okay? Awesome. My voice says I got sick. I was in Mexico last week celebrating my, uh, my best friend's cancer remission party, and so it was uh, great to be out there, but on the way back, I got sick, and then I uh, lost my voice, and so it's still not back yet, so I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That was a U2 reference, for those of you who don't know. Uh, so if you're new with us or newish, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion, and I just want to thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, I know we got a lot of people on spring break. People are sick, and the time change was brutal. I actually forgot there was a time change. Did anybody else forget that? I praise the Lord for my iPhone, because <laughs> had it not done that, I wouldn't be here this morning, or I'd actually I'd be showing up right about now. So it's all good. Um, before we begin, I want to say how excited I am for what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do here this morning. And not because this morning is any different than any other morning or because it's somehow more special, but because, and I I want you to hear this, I truly believe that anytime people, that God's people gather with the hope and expectation of God's presence to show up, God does. How many believe that? That if you expect it, if you want it, if you desire it, God shows up. And I believe that God wants to show up. And so to quote one of my favorite contemporary pastors and teachers, a guy named John Tyson, He says this, God shows up where he's wanted. So before we begin, would you pray with me as we ask for God's spirit to show up in a mighty way? And actually, I'm going to have you guys stand with me, and we're going to actually put the prayer on the screen, and we're going to pray this together, and we're going to pray it in the first person, because here's the thing, and if you're not comfortable praying, please don't. Please don't feel like you have to, but for those who want to see God show up this morning in a unique way, in a special way, because we believe in God's promise that he draws near to those who draw near to him. So if you would join me in this prayer, and if you want to extend a handout and lift it to the Lord, let's just pray this together. Um, That's that's the Bible verse. Hold on. Is there a prayer up there? Should be another one. Go back. All right. Maybe it didn't make it in. That's all right. I'll pray, and y'all can just listen and believe and agree. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Good Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray for your presence to fill this place, but also to fill our minds and our hearts and all that you have for us. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, help us to draw near to you this morning, and God, we trust that you will draw near to us. Help me, God, as you're the one bringing words, bringing your voice this morning, help me to be present in this moment that I might see where you want to lead. Lord, and that you would be glorified this morning, Lord, in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. amen. And now let's have our Bible verse. No one sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. I saw some of you about ready to do that. Don't be doing that yet. Come on. We're going to read our Bible verse. Now the Bible verse. Here we go. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of the grave, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. 
The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. The word of the Lord, praise be to God. You may be seated. I know it's kind of a lengthy verse, but let me kind of tell you, we're in this series right now called Rock of Ages, volume two, and we're looking at the attributes, the character of God, who God is. And one of the core beliefs, a core doctrine of the church about who God is, a core belief that we have, is that God is what is called omnipresent. Everybody say omnipresent. So omni, the word omni means all. Present means he's everywhere. And the idea of God's omnipresence is that, first of all, God is spirit. Before Jesus became flesh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were together in spirit in perfect unity. And his presence filled every aspect of creation, the heaven and earth throughout all time and space. It means that God is everywhere at all times in all places. Now, we also believe, and this is absolutely critical, and I want you to hear this, we also believe that in some places, God shows up, he reveals himself in very intimate and personal ways, or what is called the imminence of God. And the imminence of God is different than the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God is that God is everywhere. The imminence of God is that you can know God, have an experience with God, have an encounter with God in special places. So God might be everywhere, but he shows up in unique places at unique times. That's actually why we prayed this morning. We already believe God's spirit's here. We don't have to pray for God's spirit to be here because guess what? God is already in this place, amen? Amen. He's outside the doors of here. He's at K&B. He's at every place. Wherever there is creation, God's spirit is present. But what we want is not just his presence. We want his imminence. We want to experience God. Now, over the last couple of weeks, there have been three things that have reminded me of God's omnipresence, but more importantly, his imminence or what we're going to call his nearness. And the first one has actually made headline news. It was a revival at a small town in Christian University in Kentucky. The second was my best friend's cancer remission celebration, which I just got back from. And then also, and I just want to be real, a rather heartbreaking Facebook post message from an old friend of mine from high school. These three things actually have one thing in common. And they actually lead to a big question. And some of you here this morning might have them. And here is the question. What does it mean to say that God is near? What does it actually mean to say that God is near us? How many of you, by show of hands, have ever felt like you didn't feel God's nearness? Raise your hand. Come on, if everybody's hand doesn't go up, you're lying to yourself. We've all had those moments, like when you're lying in bed and you got the flu, you're like, where are you, Lord, right? We've all had those moments, but the Bible tells us that God is near the first one is the Asbury Revival. How many of you have heard of the Asbury Revival? It just happened. It's been all over the news. You can't miss it. Now, if you're not familiar with it, here's what happened. In a small town in Kentucky, a university, Christian university, Asbury uh, University, God showed up at a run-of-the-mill chapel service. The local pastor, they invite pastors in to come and speak, and there were a bunch of college students there, and this pastor came, and he preached, and he gave a word, and when he got done, he actually called his wife and said, hey, babe, I'm pretty sure I, that one was horrible. It was a dumpster fire, and had no idea that after he was done, a group of 18 to 20 students stuck around and lingered. He left thinking nothing happened. It was an average, ordinary chapel service in a town of about 6,000. 18 to 20 students hung around to linger and worship. 
not because this was a remarkable message, not because they had a guest speaker or they had a guest worship band. It was just a normal service. But these 18 to 20 students hung around. They stuck around and continued to pray and worship after the service was done. And slowly something happened. God's spirit showed up in a remarkable way. Words started getting around the campus, and all of a sudden, what started off as just 18 to 20 started growing and growing, and, and I think we should, we should have a picture up here. By the time, by the end of the service, all of a sudden, this is what it looked like. People from all over the campus were coming in and worshiping, and for 16 straight days, worship and prayer took place. 16 straight days. Non-stop worship and prayer. Now, here's the thing. It didn't always look like this. Go ahead and leave that up for right now. See, here's what I love about this. This didn't happen in some huge city. This didn't happen in Minneapolis or in Dallas or Miami or Denver. It happened in a small rural town in Kentucky. What are we? We're a small rural town in the middle of North Iowa. And here's the thing. I have to be honest. This was such an encouragement to me because there's a part of me, if I'm honest, that goes, you know, movements like that don't happen in places like this. They happen in big places. And what does God do? God says, <laughs> you're wrong, Jason. And he shows up. Now, here's the cool part about this. Over those 16 days, this is how we know it was a God, a move of God's nearness, his presence in a moment. This doesn't happen everywhere. Now, what's cool is they ended the revival after day 16, but revival is breaking out all over the United States and all over the world right now. Not just, and, and here's the hard part. A lot of it's happening in universities, which is great. I love this because we're seeing teenagers and 20-somethings who are drawing near and God is renewing and reviving a generation to come to him. But I want to see that here. How many of you want to see that here? You can clap. That's an amen. How many of you want to say that here? Say amen. Okay, see, it's one thing to say, yeah, I want to see it here. <laughs> now check this out. This is the best part. A sophomore from the university decided to do collect some data. Over that 16 days, it's estimated that between 50 to 75,000 people from all over the world over that three-week period of time came to encounter God's presence. Seven, up to 75,000 people, they collected and actually made a map and now here's the best part about this. I actually talked to some friends that went and visited the revival. They just wanted to see what God was doing, right? And I was talking to one of my friends, and he goes, I got to be honest, Jason, it was pretty unremarkable. There was nothing major. Like, it just didn't, it, there was nothing special about it. And he goes, and that's exactly how we knew it was a, a move of the Spirit. There were moments where there were just handfuls of people in there. And yet other moments where people were just packing in the place and getting a fresh word. And this is what I love about what happened there. And I believe that God wants to do in a place like this. It's because it wasn't manufactured. It wasn't forced or manipulated. There were no fog machines or what I call the Shekinah Glory Fog Machine Company. There was none of that false, fake, let's make a moment. There were no special worship leaders, no guest preachers. They weren't holding a revival meeting. They didn't think anything was going to happen. And God showed up. Imagine what would happen if we actually left space for God to show up. Again, unremarkable. One of the ways that we know this was a move of the Spirit and that it was unremarkable is that there were several really well-known worship leaders and pastors who called the leadership and said, hey, we want to be a part of what's going on there. And you know what the leadership said? No, thank you. We don't want guest worship leaders. We don't want some big names. We don't want... In fact, the only people who are going to lead worship and talk are the students. That's it. 
So for 16 days, they turned away some of the most popular worship leaders on social media right now who are like, we want to be a part. And they said, no, if this is truly a move of the Lord, we don't need you here. What we need is God's spirit. Amen. And they turned people away. Carrie Job, who wrote the song, The Blessing, with her husband, Cody Carnes, she actually went anonymously just to go pray. She didn't want to lead worship, so she went in the, the student body prayed for this woman who was one of the most popular worship leaders in the world right now, and they had no clue who she was, and she just came to receive from the Lord. Because here's what I want you to hear. God often chooses to move in extraordinary ways through absolutely ordinary moments. That's how God moves. That's how God works. He moves in the extraordinary through the ordinary, or what I like to call God's divine timing. And it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that at the same time of this revival breaking out, there was a movie that came out. And this movie was called The Jesus Revolution. I have yet to see it yet. I've been too busy traveling. How many of you have seen The Jesus Revolution? I had friends who knew Lonnie Frisbee personally. A very flawed and broken man who loved Jesus. And, and here's what you find in this movie and the story of the Jesus Revolution, which was a revival that broke, up, broke out in Costa Mesa, California in a small church with a struggling pastor named Chuck Smith when a Jesus-loving hippie shows up and says, hey, you know what, let's, let's do this. Let's see what God wants to do. And what they, I don't know if they talk about it in the movie or not, but did you know that Lonnie Frisbee struggled with sexual sin? He struggled with his sexuality and he died in 1993 from the AIDS virus. God used an unremarkable man to do a remarkable thing in an unremarkable place because God is the one who moves, because God is the one who is near. Amen? Now, here's what I love about all this central to these moments. And any movement is God's presence manifesting itself in different ways. And sometimes it's going to make people uncomfortable, especially religious people. When the Spirit shows up, you know who the ones usually who want to get out of there? It's those with the Pharisaic heart. Those who don't like when God breaks their little bubble. Oh my gosh, Jason, the, what do you mean the service might go longer than an hour and 10 minutes? <gasps> you, know how many, you know how much feedback I got when we switched from an hour to an hour and 10 minutes? I had a bunch of people like, Jason, uh, Lutheran services go an hour. I said, and, I, and this, literally, the Lutheran services go no more than an hour. 55 minutes is ideal. That's what I heard. And, and here's what I said to one person. Are you telling me that God's not worth an extra 10 minutes? But what if, what if God continued to move? What if at the end of our worship service, people stuck around and lingered in the move of the Spirit, and now all of a sudden, how cool would it be if we were still worshiping? And I'm not trying to coax this. I, I'm really not. But imagine what would happen if all of a sudden God started moving and second service rolls in and we're still worshiping from the first service. What do you think that would say to somebody coming and checking out a church? To the religious, they're going to go, that's uncomfortable. To those who are sensitive to the nearness of God, they're going to say, God, where have you been? Yes, this is what we're longing for. Now, again, I, I don't want to manufacture this because that's not one of the goals, but one of the signs of God's nearness, God's presence in a place, is not because people worshiped. Actually, the real sign of revival is repentance. It's people acknowledging their sin. It's people saying, hey, I've got sin that I've not dealt with. And they're encountering a holy God. The nearness of God is showing up. And when they experience God's nearness, they cannot help but also experience God's kindness. Romans, the, uh, Romans chapter 2, the apostle Paul wrote this, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? 
You ever notice that every person that Jesus encountered, he was very kind to? Even the meanest people to him, he was always kind. When God's spirit shows up, when the nearness of God shows up in a unique way, people are overwhelmed by the goodness and the love of God and it draws them near to God and it leads to repentance. So why does God's nearness lead to repentance? Why is repentance so important for revival? Well, this goes back to his omnipresence. The omnipresence of God means this, and this is going to be scary for some of you. It means that there's not one atom in all of creation that God is not present in, that he's not around. Let me give you an example. What's inside of this? Air. There's not one part of this this picture that is not filled with air. This is what it means to be God's presence. There's not, imagine this is all of creation. Can you see the air? Do you know the air's there? You know it's there only because you know air is everywhere, right? This is, imagine if this is all of creation, heaven and earth, if God is spirit, which is, let's liken that to air, everywhere there is creation, God's spirit is present, including the really bad stuff, including those moments of sin, where you thought nobody was watching, nobody was looking, God's spirit was present. Including those darkest moments when you, were, you felt distant and alone from God, God's spirit was there. And because he's omnipresent, it means that you cannot hide from God. And because you cannot hide from God, it means that God knows everything that goes on in creation. And here's the difference between God and the devil. See, Satan is not omnipresent. Sometimes we think he is. Satan has demons who tell him information. God doesn't need angels to tell him information. God already knows. He knows everything so much that he even knows your thoughts. He knows your thoughts better than you do. How many of you have ever told yourself when you were younger, you told yourself something, and as you got older, you realized that you were lying to yourself because you wanted to believe the best, and then you were honest with yourself as you got older? Come on, how many of you have ever done that? We've all had those moments, right, where we, we can tell ourselves a good story. God knows your heart. God knows your motivations, which means that the omnipresence of God, there's nothing hidden from him. Now, here's the difference. In theism, or the belief that we believe, we believe that God is in, around all creation, but he is not in all creation. In other words, God is not inside of this table. Pantheism teaches that God is in all things. God is in that bucket. God is in that chair. God is in that microphone. God is in me. Therefore, I am an extension of God. What the Bible teaches us is that God is uniquely different, distinct from all of his creation, but he's present around it all. And the only thing that the Spirit of God inhabits are His people. Did you catch that? That is the only living creation that the Spirit of God inhabits is His people. Now, His presence is everywhere. He knows all things, but you are not God. That chair is not God. I am not God. God is God. I am separate from Him. But as a Christian, I am given His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit now resides in me because of the promise of the gospel. And this matters because here's what happens. If God shows up, and when God shows up in those broken places of my life, listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that God cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. The author of Hebrews wrote this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
This means that God sees and knows every sinful action and thought, even the ones you think you've hidden really well. Now, what's this got to do with revival? Well, when the nearness of God shows up, when people begin to realize that God has seen the most ugly parts of their life, and he still loves you. He loves you in spite of the fact of the errant words you've spoken. He loves you in spite of the bitter or lustful thoughts. He loves you in spite of your selfishness and deceitful actions that you've committed. There is nothing in all of creation that is hidden from the eye of God. And yet he loves you. And when the spirit comes into a place, the imminence of God, the nearness of God shows up, you encounter the kindness of God. And that kindness overwhelms you to the point where you realize, I need God. When was the last time you realized you needed God? When was the last time that the nearness of God showed up? Because in those terrifying moments, this is exactly <coughs> when what Jennifer preached last week is so important. That's where the hospitality of God shows up. God is not shocked by your sin, by your brokenness. He's not caught off guard by anything you do, but he is brokenhearted by it. He's never shocked. There's nothing in all humanity that God's like, I never pictured humans could do that. He's, he's always known what we're capable of. And yet he sent his son. When God's presence is felt and revealed, when he shows up, his kindness overwhelms us and the spirit works in our hearts and minds. We cannot help but confess our sins and repent. God's presence, his nearness, revives a dead heart and faith back to life. Which means this, if we want to see a revival in Clear Lake, it starts with us being revived first. It starts with us confessing our sin. It starts with us repenting of those things that we've hidden from God, our drunkenness, our struggles with pornography, our, our struggles with anger or bitterness or the affairs or the lying and cheating or, or even just the laziness or gluttony, all the things that we think somehow God's turned a blind eye to. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Instead of trying to wait till the end of the message, we're actually going to repent right now. And we're going to invite God's Spirit. And I believe that there are some of you in this room who need the Lord. You've turned your back on God, or maybe you don't know Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. Instead of waiting till the end of the message, why, why don't we just give an invitation now? Why don't we just see what God wants to do? And, and here's my commitment to you. If God shows up in a unique way, and again, He may not I, we don't get to tell God what he gets to do. But someone asked me in sermon read-through, so Jason, if God shows up, are you willing to stop preaching the rest of your message? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, we make plans and then we make them interruptible. <laughs> right? At the end of the day, our job is to be good stewards. But when God says, hey, I want to do something, we get out of the way. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and receive that gift of the Lord right now. And, and why don't you, everybody just kind of close your eyes. And I know for some of you Lutherans, you're like, that's weird, Jason. I don't care. <laughs> if you want to surrender your life to Jesus this morning, would you just raise your hand? If you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to Christ, would you raise your hand? If you've got some sin in your life that you've been hiding, that you're ashamed of, embarrassed over. If you want to surrender that to the Lord and give it to the Lord, would you raise a hand? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite all of you to pray with me. 
And if you don't want to, if you're not comfortable, it's okay. But if, if you have raised your hand for any one of those things, would you just pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. There are sins in my life that I've tried to hide. There are sins that have captured me, that have captured my heart, that have captured my imagination, and they've led me away from you. I'm far from perfect, but you are a perfect king. Lord, I give you my life, my heart, my mind. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If, if you've got some sin you want to give to the Lord, and I'm not asking you to say it out loud, but would you just put your hands in this position? Look at me right now. This is called a posture of receiving. And, and if you want to say it under your breath or in your thoughts, but if there's some sin right now that you want to confess, would you just right now give that to the Lord and repent and say, God, I'm so sorry. And I'm going to turn off my microphone because I've got some stuff I need to repent of, and you all don't need to hear it. It's between me and the Lord. <laughs> Now, I want you to hear these words. If you've confessed to the Lord in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. You are clean. You are healed. If you need revival in your spiritual walk with the Lord, it can begin now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You may be seated. This is one of the ways that God's nearness shows up. And, and this was my commitment. We're not trying to manufacture anything. If God showed up, great, we're going to get out of the way. But if he's not, I'm not going to be like, okay, and, and. <laughs> no lie, I was actually at a, uh, a meeting one time. And it was a, a youth gathering. And the pastor got up. And there was a bunch of people there, hundreds, maybe a thousand people. And uh, he'd had everybody close their eyes. And he said, if you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, would you raise your hand? And I was on the worship team. And I'm playing, and I'm playing, and I'm looking, and no one's hands are raising. And he goes, thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, what are you, who are you thanking? Like, nothing's happening right now. And here's the thing. As sometimes as pastors, we're guilty of trying to manufacture the Spirit's movement. And, and I have to confess, there have been times that I've tried to do that. And the Lord has reminded me, Jason, I move where I want to, not where you want me to. <laughs> And here's the question that I want to I ask you is, are you leaving space in your life for the Spirit to move? Not to be manufactured. We cannot manufacture the Spirit's movement, but we can leave space for it. Does that make sense? And that's what we're longing for. So that's the first way God's nearness shows up is in revival. The second one was this past weekend, me and some of my closest friends, my best friend was diagnosed with a very treatable form of cancer. But here's the thing about cancer. It's still cancer. Even when they tell you it's treatable, it's still possible that another form of cancer could have spread somewhere else. And, and so they, he went through radiation treatment, and, and uh, he did, uh, they removed the tumors in his neck and got all the stuff, lymph nodes, and they told him he was in remission. And so we, he, me, him, and about four other guys, we all went down to Mexico where he has a timeshare, and we just golfed and hung out and celebrated and had a good time. And, and here's the part. When he got the diagnosis, I was hanging out with him, 
uh, sorry, we were talking. I was calling call on the phone, and they had done a biopsy. And I said, hey, what's the news? And he goes, the doctor doesn't think, it, doesn't think it's cancer. But, I, you know, we don't know. And I said, well, how are you feeling if it is? And, and this is what I love about my brother, Mike. He is one of the most faithful guys I know, loves Jesus, trusts Jesus. And he goes, Jason, if it is, God's got me, and I trust God. And he's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to leave my, my kids. Our kids are about the same age, and I don't want to leave my wife. But I know that God's sovereign and in control. So you can't make statements like that unless you've had a nearness encounter with the Lord. Some of you remember Mary Graham or Christina Outwell, who recently died of cancer. And these were individuals who had nearness, a near relationship with God, a close relationship. And about five minutes after we hung up the phone, he texted me right back, and he goes, it's cancer. And we prayed, and, and here's the thing. His steadfastness was not, it wasn't birthed out of uh, some false hope or false manipulation. This is a man who truly lives this, and it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know, <coughs> excuse me, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. And what Paul is essentially saying there is this. Are you guys ready for this? God is still good even when life is not. But the only reason why you can believe that is if you have a nearness, a closeness with God, a trust in God that is born out of an encounter. It's still true. The truth is whether or not you believe God is good or God is near, he still is because who he is is not dependent upon you or me, amen? But he wants us to know that. And that was Paul's prayer. When he says, I can do all things through Christ, it doesn't mean that you know, I could sit down and bench 600 pounds because I can do all things through Jesus. I'm gonna meet Jesus real quickly if I try and do that. Like, that's what's going to happen. I know you put 600 pounds on me, it doesn't matter what I do. Jesus and I are going to become best friends real quick because I'm going to be with them, <laughs> right? But it does mean this, is that in the midst of hardships, when I have a close relationship with God, when I have that nearness of God, that encounter with God, I can weather the storms. And it's birthed out of that closeness. The more we grow and mature in our faith, learn to walk both in the Spirit but with the Spirit, you discover that these encounters with God these, this nearness with God only really happens in the most trying and difficult times. And that's the hard part is that we really don't grow close to God unless we have hardship. We, it doesn't mean we can't have a relation, good relationship with God if we're not through hardship, but the place where God meets us is in the most difficult places. What is the one thing no one wants? Difficulties. When was the last time you're like, Lord, give me some difficulties so I know you? I don't know anybody who prays that. Last thing, if you ever want to... <laughs> Do you ever want to pray something and, and then take it back? Never say, God, give me patience. Yeah, don't say that unless you want God to give you patience. How is he going to give you patience? He's going to put you in scenarios that require what? Patience. If you want a nearness with God, it comes in those times of heartache and difficulties because some of the greatest moments of knowing, experiencing the intimacy of God only happens in heartache and difficulty. Psalm 23, 4 says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Most of you are familiar with this psalm. It's Psalm 23, the uh, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's what we find in this is God's nearness is everywhere around you. And when you have a relationship with you, God's nearness is there as a, it's in those heartaches, it's in those difficulties. But what happens 
What happens when we don't feel God's presence or when it feels like God has forgotten us? Many years ago, I was at a, a conference and this pastor shared the story. <clears throat> and, I, and I cannot tell you how many times I've sat with people who are struggling with wondering where God is. They're struggling with God, where are you? When they lose a child or when their marriage is falling apart or they're struggling with an addiction or they've lost a job or sometimes, sometimes it's just simply because your faith has gone dry. You're no longer, you don't feel the excitability, the emotions, the connection that you once did when you were younger. Last week I posted on Facebook something that I felt like the Lord was stirring in me from the book of Psalms and, and I wrote some things that this Psalm promises us and a friend of mine from many years ago um, and I won't say her name, and not because any of you know her. She's from San Diego. She texted her, or she Facebook messaged me individually, and she said, Jason, I got to be honest. I don't believe any of that. I'm really, I struggle with this. I've done all the things my pastors told me to. I've prayed, and yet, if God is near, his nearness really sucks. Because my life is worse. It's not better. And I, I just, I got to be honest, Jason, everything you're saying, just if this is who God is, then I'm angry with God. I don't, I don't know that that nearness of God was worthless to me. These are her words to me. And the pastor part of me wanted to go, yeah, but, Anna, and, and give all the reasons why she was wrong. And instead, I just, I, well, I literally kept my mouth shut because we were typing to each other. But it reminded me is that sometimes we feel abandoned by God. And sometimes there are moments where you're like, God, where are you? And, and for her, it's been decades of it. And, and I don't know her relationship with God, but I will tell you this. At one point, she said, and nobody cares about my story because it doesn't have a happy ending, Jason. Everybody loves to hear about heartache when on the other side of that heartache is success. And she's right. She's absolutely right. We love hearing a good comeback story, but she said, Jason, my, I've been asked to leave several churches because of the difficulties of my family, and, and I, you know, my pastors, every time I'm not doing this, they said, why is it that every time I succeed, God is good, but whenever something doesn't go my way, I'm the one who's to blame. Whenever God is distant, I'm to blame. Why is it that pastors always put the blame on people when sometimes it just feels like God has forgotten us? And I guarantee you some of you in this room probably feel that way right now. She was tired about reading and hearing stories of people who went through difficult things. God shows up, life got better. And can I just tell you how real this question is? When I hear that, I can't help but feel like sometimes the church is trying to always sell people. And yes, I said the word sell. We want to sell people on the positive side of faith in Jesus. We neglect sometimes the hard stuff of faith. What happens when you don't experience God's goodness? What happens when the cancer doesn't get healed? What happens when your child dies? What happens when a marriage does fall apart? What happens when you've been praying for a certain addiction or struggle to be dealt with and you're still wrestling and you're like, God, where are you? These are real things. And did you know that the Bible isn't, isn't afraid to talk about them? See, sometimes we want to paint the picture that if you follow God, it's like rainbows and unicorns and puppies and kittens. And the Bible actually tells us the opposite. Jesus says at one point is that you will have troubles in this life. Like my friend, I too have wrestled with seeing where God was in certain times of heartache in my life. There have been seasons where I'm like, God, where were you? I actually had to relearn how to read the Bible. Because I was taught to read the Bible through bumper sticker Christianity. Everybody loves this verse. And what then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can? Everybody knows that one. But when was the last time you heard this? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
In fact, I had some, uh, I had some magnets made up by Amanda of some unmotivational, demotivational bumper stickers. Anybody want one? No, really, these are to give away. I have two for each service. Here's one of them. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Psalm 88, 14. Who wants it? Come on. Vince, my man, Vince, always hanging on your fridge, right? I got another one here. It is, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 13, 1. Anybody want it besides Vince? Because Vince will take it. Someone raise their hand. Who wants it? Who wants it? Come here, get it. I want you to think about this for a second. We are, Tina, there you go. I want you to think about this. Why are these verses in the Bible? Why are these verses, these unmotivational verses in Scripture? Because God's not afraid to admit that there are times when he feels distant. We're uncomfortable with it. But I want to show you, I need a volunteer. Jason Dennis, I'm voluntolding you. Come up here. Everybody give it up for Jason. All right, so Jason, he has no idea what I'm doing right now. Literally, this is because this is Megan's husband. So, and this, yeah, you're just, who knows what's going to happen. Okay, so here's what I want you to picture right now, okay? So right now, we have this picture of nearness of God. We've talked about revival. Revival is, God is right here. You see the kindness. It's God's embrace. It's the goodness of God, right? That's the nearness of God. But sometimes, and how many of you ever had somebody sneak up on you and you don't know they're there until they touch you or say something, and what happens? You get freaked out, right? Okay, so here's the thing. Jason, don't follow me. Turn, okay? Am I near Jason? Does he always know I'm near? No. Jason, walk for me. Don't look at me. Walk. <laughs> Am I still near Jason? Does he necessarily know that I'm near him? No, nah, go ahead. Turn around. Am I still near him? Now, here's, check this out. Here's what happens. See, sometimes we get upset because what we think nearness of God means is this. I got you, I got you, I got you. But sometimes God's nearness is this. And God in his timing says this, Jason, I have you. See, that's, thank you. Give it up for Jason. This is the nearness of God. The nearness of God is not that you will always know it. See, the, uh, the idea God is spirit, and because of that, it means he doesn't have a body. And when we hear the word, God, don't turn your back on me, what we think of when someone turns their back on you, it means they're angry with you, disappointed in you, disgusted with you. But when God turns his back on you, it's, he, remember, he doesn't actually have a back. What it means is you don't know he's there, but he's still there. He's present. He loves you even in the most difficult times. And my friend who I, I've been talking to, you know, I told her, I said, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And I believe that God, and I know, actually, I don't just believe, I know that God is near her. But here's the question, does she have eyes to see and ears to hear? Maybe not right now because life is too hard, but that doesn't stop God's goodness or love for her. I want to reread our text this morning and show you some uh, a few things, and I'm going to invite the band back out. And very briefly, I want to reread our text, and I want you to hear these through a different lens, okay? Psalm 139, 1 through 4. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. Here's what this means. God knows you because he is near you. He can search you because he's close to you, because his presence is there. The only reason why God can search and know you, the only reason why he can know every word is because he's present for everything you've ever said or thought. 
uh, verses 5 through 6, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful, wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God has his hand on you, but you may not always know it. He is guiding and directing those who love him and call upon his name. David uses the imagery of a sewing patch. You sew something into a pocket, meaning God's nearness is all around you. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my depths, if I make my bed in the depths of the grave, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. God is with you in all situations, highs and lows. Even in those moments where it feels like it's literal hell, God is there. The nearness of God is so close. God's presence is there. And then lastly, God is there with you even when you don't see or feel him. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. God's presence is all around. Uh, Many years ago, I was at a conference and this pastor shared a story and it's a rather heartbreaking story. It was in Iowa, actually. And this pastor was in a small town and uh, a police officer showed up at his doorstep at about one o'clock in the morning. And he said, uh, sir, I wanted to let you know that unfortunately your son was killed in a car accident. And this pastor in this small town left his home immediately and he went out to the edge of a cornfield and started arguing and yelling at God and screaming at God, where are you? I don't understand why you would do this and yelling. And a police officer was driving by and recognized him and recognized that he was the pastor whose son had died. And he, the, he saw the pastor begin to walk towards the cruiser and he tore off his shirt and threw it on the ground. And as he was coming back, he, he turned around immediately and picked up his shirt and put it back on. And the police officer said, hey, you're the pastor whose son died. I'm so sorry. Can I ask what you were doing out here? And he said, I'll be honest. I was out here just having some words with God. I was yelling at God. I was cussing at God. I'm so angry. And the entire time I'm asking God, why won't you share? Why won't you talk to me? Why won't you tell me what happened? And I got so frustrated. I was yelling at him all night and God was silent. I got so mad. I threw off my shirt. I just, I was done. And that's when I started walking to you. And he said, well, what happened? And he said, well, that's when God spoke to me. And he said, what did he say? And he said, you forgot your shirt. Now we chuckle at that, but here's the part of this. The only reason why God responded is because he wanted him to know I can handle your anger. I heard every word. I wasn't far away. I was near, and you didn't feel it. You didn't know it, but I'm there. God's heart breaks. I've sat beside parents who've children who've committed suicide, and one of the biggest lies that I've heard is when people say, oh, you know, I know the Lord. I was so excited to see them in heaven, and Jesus' arms were wide open. He was smiling when my child came home, and I go, really? You think God was smiling that your kid committed suicide? Are you... Jesus was crying. Yes, his arms were wide open and he welcomed your your child home, but don't think for a second he was pleased. He was heartbroken. Jesus didn't weep because Lazarus died. He wept because of unbelief. He wept because of the heartache of the world around him. Jesus weeps in those most painful moments. And right now there are some of you that are dealing with some of the most painful moments of your life and you're wondering, God, where are you? And I know at some point God is going to say, I'm here. And it may not be this side of heaven. It might be on the other, but I believe in God's nearness to you. And it starts with confession. It starts with trust. And in those moments where we're wondering where God is, there are things that it's in those moments that God strengthens us and encourages us. Would you stand and 
we're going to come and worship the Lord one last time. And I want to, I want to, I want to read to you from uh, John Townsend. He gives just a few quick ways in which you can encourage and grow in those moments where you feel like God isn't near because the most painful ones are the ones where it doesn't feel like God to show up, but there are things that you can do to encourage this. The first is his presence, knowing that God is present even when you don't feel. The second, and this is important, is you need God's people around you. In those moments when you don't feel God's nearness, you need a community of faith who will put their arms around you in the name of Jesus because sometimes God shows us his nearness through the people who love him, amen? Third is power. Sometimes you are powerless and helpless, but God still gives you choices. Did you know that you always have a choice to pray? You always have a choice to worship. You always have the choice to go to church. You always have the choice to go to the gym. Even when you are totally powerless and, 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 and without the ability, God gives you some choices that are yours. And in those moments, those power, those moments of power that you have remind you that God wants to sustain you. Fourth is produce. We are created to be productive creatures. And when you don't feel God near, go do something creative. Create, build, love, share, talk. Lastly is purpose. Pain without purpose is pointless. Did you know that God can use every circumstance to give purpose to your life? There have been things that have happened in my life that I would never wish upon every, anybody, but God has used them. God has used me being a, a child of sexual abuse, a broken home, a murder in my family. God has used my most painful moments to be a light and a beacon of hope to people who are going through heartache. Had I not gone through those, I could not empathize with people when they're in their deepest and darkest moments. Pain without purpose is pointless. God wants to give purpose to everything, amen? Let's sing this last song and all of this, let us come and worship. And we're a couple minutes late, but I think God deserves some worship, don't you? Let's just come and worship the Lord.